Good morning. Thank you, Sherry. <clears throat> My name is Chris. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors on staff. Uh, glad you're here with us this morning. If you could invite uh, three people, living or dead, to lunch with you next week, who would you choose? Have you ever thought about that question? Well, if you ask uh, people on the internet, uh, watch some YouTube videos, read through some forums, uh, you'll get all kinds of answers to the question of who would you have lunch with if you could. I, I searched this week and I found answers like Marilyn Monroe or Gandhi or Ed Sheeran or various economists or entrepreneurs or long dead political leaders and musicians and artists. And someone even said the late crocodile hunter Steve Irwin. Well, more important than who you would pick perhaps is the question of why would you pick them? Would you be really strategic in your three choices and you pick one person who's smart and one who is funny and one who is iconic? Maybe you'd choose three business men or women who are really savvy with money so you could try and get ahead financially or, or three experts in your desired field of work so that you could try and grab as much knowledge and wisdom from them as you could to push your career further down the line. Maybe you'd have some leading parenting experts or psychologists or relationship gurus so that you could work on uh, the various dynamics of relationships in your life. Well, we're in church, right? So hopefully at least someone thought, well, I'd like to have lunch with Jesus, right? That'd be a good guy to have lunch with. Well, here's the thing. Uh, in the text that Sherry read for us this morning, we hear the very words of Jesus instructing us on an absolutely critical piece of our lives, our prayer life with God in heaven. And if this book is what we say it is, and I believe that it is, that it's living and active and sharper than two, any two-edged sword and useful for all sorts of different things, if that is true, then when we open up God's word, it is as though Jesus is before us, speaking these words, teaching us, and instructing us right here in response to the disciples' simple request, teach us to pray. We're continuing on in our prayer series this morning, uh, and our text is in uh, Luke chapter 11. It's the shorter version of the Lord's Prayer, and it's uh, perhaps the most famous and familiar prayer in all the Bible, right? Well, one of the important things to remember as we work through the Lord's Prayer this morning is that familiarity does not need to mean boring or ineffective or mundane, in fact, repetition and familiarity can be wonderful tools for us as Christians, especially as it relates to prayer. Before we dive into the text, then, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for how it instructs us and shapes our lives. Or we thank you and we praise you that you are holy and that you are bringing your kingdom here. Lord, we ask uh, now as we open your word together that by your spirit who is among us, you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to the truth of it. Lord, those things are broken in us because of sin, and so we can only hear and understand with your help. And so we ask that you would give us that this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So what exactly does Jesus have to tell us about prayer by way of answering the disciples' plea of, Lord, teach us to pray? 
As we look back at our text, uh, we, can, we may be able to find some things that might help us understand more fully how we can connect with God. Because remember, our definition of prayer throughout this series is that, a personal encounter with God. As we look back at these first couple of verses, we see that the disciples come to Jesus after he spent some time praying, and they say to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And Jesus says to the disciples, whenever you pray, say. Whenever you pray, say. That word say there is called an imperative. An imperative is just a command. It's, it's like when you say to your kids, hey, go pick up that game that you left on the floor. Go do this. It's a command. Or you, you say to your coworker, hey, will you bring me that tool over there? Bring me. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's not unclear what Jesus is telling his disciples to do here. He's telling them when they pray, pray these words. Well, what words? Verse 2, he says, pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not bring us into temptation. What's so special about this particular prayer that Jesus gives the disciples? So, so much. So let's walk through and break it down just a bit. First, Jesus addresses God and tells the disciples to address God as Father. This is pretty common for us in the 21st century Western church, right? We talk about Father God all the time. We pray to our Heavenly Father. We understand that God is a loving and kind, and as we sang a few minutes ago, a good Father. But in the first century, uh, Christians didn't often refer to God as Father, right? And in fact, it's quite a bit of a shift that Jesus makes. Certainly in the Old Testament, God is called Father, but more often he's referred to as Lord or Master. Here, though, the disciples are told right at the front of this prayer to address God, address the God of the universe, not as the Holy One or the Great I Am or any of the other wonderful reverent names that he's called and is worthy of throughout the Bible. Jesus, in his model prayer, tells the disciples to address God as Father. As we've already heard in verses 5 to 13, God is a good father, right, who gives good gifts to his people who ask for them. We'll talk more about that later. But for now, when you pray, remember that God is your loving and kind and good father. He is for you. He is in your corner. And he wants what's best for you in order to bring glory to his name. Well, why does that matter? God is your perfect father, and when you approach him in prayer, when you personally encounter him in prayer, you're not talking to some far-off man who's high in the sky who doesn't really care about you. You're talking to one who loves you, who tenderly cares for you, who is in your corner, who rejoices over you with singing. You can have a deep and intimate relationship, and you can have deep and intimate conversations with your father in heaven and know that he loves and cares for you. Next, Jesus tells us to pray, your name be honored as holy and your kingdom come. Well, what's this about? Why why does Jesus tell his disciples and us to pray, your name be honored as holy and your kingdom come? Is God sitting up in heaven, like just kind of hoping that someone will honor his name as holy? He's like, man, 
I'm feeling a little insecure today. I'm kind of unsure of myself. And it would be really great if Chris would just honor my name as holy and recognize me for who I am and that kind of fill me up. Right? Of course not. Of course not. That's silly, right? God is not insecure, nor does he need anything that we have to offer him. Is he likewise hoping that he can bring his kingdom to earth? Does he just wish that this creation which he made, which he holds together by his will, which would fall apart without his active involvement, does he wish that somehow, some way, we might find a way to allow his kingdom to come here? Of course not, right? Of course not. God is not lacking in some way because enough people don't worship him or not enough people desire that his kingdom would come. He's complete. He's not needy. He's not dependent upon humanity to feel good. And he is bringing his kingdom, whether we want him to or not, right? In fact, in many ways, God's kingdom has already been brought. Even though we can't always tangibly see it, it is true that Jesus is reigning at the right hand of God over all of creation, Right, it's evidenced in transformed lives and in thriving gospel-centered marriages and in broken addictions and in obedience, faithful obedience to Jesus in the face of difficulty. So if this isn't about God's insecurity or us allowing him to bring his kingdom here, then what is this about? Why do, why do we need to pray these things? Well, maybe it's more for me and you than it is for God. Right, these first three lines shape us for the rest of the prayer. They orient our hearts for what's to come. All right, we pray, Father, your name be honored as holy in us. Father, your kingdom come in our lives. In other words, God, conform us to your will. Transform us into the image of your Son. Give us the deep desires of your heart. Give us a longing for your holiness. Give us eyes for heavenly things. Let the circumstances of our lives fade to the background and let us see the good things that you would have for us. This totally reshapes how we think about the rest of this prayer, right? And it spits in the face of the Western way of life. We want what we want and we want it now and we want to know and we, and we know that God really wants to give us what we want, right? I want to marry who I want to marry. I want to take I want to partake in whatever lifestyle I want to. I want to pursue the things that I want to pursue. And those things, those desires, since they come from inside of me, they must be good. And a good father gives me what I want, right? Wrong. Wrong, right? Yes, God gives good gifts. And yes, God wants you to enjoy your life. But more than that, God wants you to enjoy him and his way of life. And in spite of what we hear from prosperity gospel preachers all over, our happiness is nowhere near as important as our holiness, or God's holiness, or his glory, or the fame of his name. And so, at the very front of this prayer that Jesus instructs his disciples to pray, we are reminded of the reality that we need to be conformed to God's image, not the other way around. Your name not my name, be honored as holy. Your kingdom, Father, not my kingdom, come. So part one of this prayer, we must rightly orient ourselves. We must assume the right and humble posture before the Lord before we go to him with our requests. And then, as God's children, Jesus instructs us to pray boldly. 
Listen to Jesus' words that he's told us to take to the Father again in these next few verses. He says, give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Do not bring us into temptation. These are direct and pointed and demanding words. Just like Jesus said, say, pray, when you pray, say these things. These these words that he says, give us and forgive us and do not bring us, they're imperatives. They're commands from us to God. Does that make you a little uncomfortable? If I'm honest, it makes me a little uncomfortable, maybe a lot uncomfortable, right? We're so used to praying these sort of timid, unexpectant prayers, right? Father, well, if you want to, would you please hear me and maybe possibly provide this for me? And the whole while we're asking those things, we're not expecting God to do much of anything, let alone exactly what we ask him to To be sure, God is no cosmic vending machine. And last week, Dan reminded us that sometimes God doesn't give us what we ask because he knows a whole lot better than we do, right? Well, pastor and author Tim Keller says it like this. He says, God will either give us what we ask or he'll give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. Still, Even though God loves to give us what we ask for or what we would ask for if we knew what he knows, it still feels a little weird to go before God like this, right? With this almost bold and demanding attitude, like, you said you'll do this, God, so now do it. That feels wrong, right? It's like cosmic manipulation or irreverent or something. It just doesn't feel great. Well, I think that feeling stems from a gross misunderstanding that we struggle with, that I struggle with, about who God is. Because here's the thing. It's not irreverent or manipulative or wrong. Jesus, who is himself God, tells us to do it. So how do we square that up? Well, we need to understand that God is totally not like us. He's in a, an altogether separate category. You and I, right, we have all agreed to do something that we really don't want to do, right? We tell our kids, yes, I will play Play-Doh with you after nap time. And nap time comes, and what we really hope is that our kids are going to forget about the Play-Doh, right? Because Play-Doh could be the worst. It's all mixed together and ground into the carpet, and there's little specks of it everywhere, and it's awful, Right? Well, we tell our coworker, yes, I'll get you that report or whatever you need by the end of the week. And then a few days go by and they say, hey, do you have that report or that update for me? And you're like so annoyed that they're asking you about it, even though you agreed to do it earlier in the week. We tell ourselves, right, I'm going to eat a salad for lunch tomorrow. And then when it comes time to actually eat that salad, we are very irritated and we hate that we didn't plan something that actually tastes good. We agree to have coffee with someone, right? And then as that time approaches, we think, oh, I really don't want to meet with this person, even though I agree to in the moment. But God is not like us. God doesn't say he'll do things that he doesn't want to do, right? When he says that he will provide for your physical needs, he's glad to do it. He wants to. He cares for you. And it's not some concession that he's making to give you what you need, When God promises us rest or peace or grace or mercy or gentleness or when he says he'll equip us or he'll provide us with words to say when we need them or he'll give us a way out of temptation or perhaps most shockingly when he promises 
uh, to forgive us and to separate us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. He's not doing it begrudgingly. He's not saying, my goodness, Chris, again? You need my help again? You need me to forgive you? You sinned again? Why can't you just stop it? Handle this yourself. That thought never crosses God's mind as you approach the throne of grace and boldly ask him for provision and forgiveness and deliverance. It never crosses his mind. In fact, it brings him great joy to provide these things for you, especially to provide forgiveness. That's why he sent Jesus. It's why he sent Jesus to die on that cross. It's the whole point. And when he does that, when he interacts with us, glory is poured out upon him in his provision for his people. I want to pause here uh, and address the elephant in the room. What about when God doesn't answer my prayers. All right, yes, I put this in the sermon. I better think it's true, and I do. God will either give us what we ask for, uh, or he will give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knows. I think that's true. But what about when, God give, when what God gives us seems so absent or so unhelpful? Well, we're not always going to get what we ask for, because we often ask for things that are not aligned with making God's name holy and bringing his kingdom here and placing his glory above all else. We get that, right? We understand that we ask for things that are just silly sometimes, and God's not going to give us those. But then there are those times when we ask for things that seem like they should be in line with what God would want or with what he said he'll do, and we still don't seem to get an answer, or at least not an answer that we want or expect. Well, why does that happen? Why does God say no sometimes? The answer, if I'm honest, is we don't always know. We don't always know why God doesn't heal those we ask him to. We don't always know why God sometimes lets us experience deep difficulty in life or why he allows us to carry a burden for our whole lives. I wish I could stand up here and give you a clear answer as to why he allowed that thing to happen in your life. And sometimes in time, we can look back and, and, and see how God was working, but sometimes that doesn't happen on this side of heaven. But what I do know is this, God is still sovereign. He's still on the throne. He's still trustworthy. And God not answering our prayers has nothing to do with us getting the formula correct or mustering up, up enough faith in ourselves or reading our Bible more or making sure we believe hard enough. None of that is the case. After all, Jesus Christ himself experienced what we would probably call unanswered prayers. Remember when Jesus was with his disciples on the Mount of Olives in Luke chapter 22, just a few hours before he would be crucified? He's on, on this mountain and, and he asks the disciples to pray for him and then they fall asleep. He knows his betrayal is coming at the hands of Judas and he knows he's going to go to that cross and bear the sins of every human that has ever and will ever exist. And he boldly goes before the Father, sweating blood from the pressure that he's feeling. And he says to God, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. God, please, is there any other way? And from our perspective, and in that moment, what does it look like God did? It looks like he didn't answer the prayer. 
Looking back on history, we know why God did that, right? We know that Jesus was the only one who could take it. He's the only one who could atone. He's the only one who could pay our penalty on that cross. But that night, as Jesus sweat blood in anticipation of what was to come, it sure seemed like God wasn't answering that prayer. And yet, Jesus himself tells us to go before the Father very boldly, asking him to do the things that he'll, he said he'll do, providing for his people and forgiving sin and leading us not into temptation. How can he do that? How can, how can Jesus tell us to do that in light of this? Well, I think the answer lies at the second half of his request in Luke 22. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. God is a good and trustworthy Father. And Jesus, our Savior and our model, completely entrusted his life to him. He knew that if the Father said no, then that was best. And in that, in spite of what the circumstances felt like, in spite of the fact that Jesus was going to literally die, even though all of that was true, Jesus knew that the Father is good. And whatever he's going to allow to happen is what's best. It won't always feel like God's doing what's best. Certainly, as Jesus sweat blood, he wasn't feeling very good about what was to come. But deep in his soul, he could have peace because he knew that the father he prayed to was trustworthy and reliable in spite of what his current circumstances looked like. The same is true for you and I. God is a good father. So what do you do when it seems like God isn't answering your prayer? You follow the example of Jesus. You continue to trust. You continue to acknowledge God's sovereignty and you recognize that God is a good father and that even if the circumstances of your life are terrible, he is good and you, believer, will one day be with him in a place where all things will be made new and right. Jesus doubles down on this idea of going boldly before our good God with two stories right after he finishes the prayer. Let's look back at verses 5 to 13. It says that Jesus said this, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer him from inside and say, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Well, in Jesus' first story here, a friend shows up in the night because he needs something for his traveling guests, right? And what happens? 
Well, he goes and knocks on the door, and the homeowner is asleep, and so he says, go away, I'm sleeping, I can't give you anything. If you put yourself in his shoes, you kind of get it, right? Someone knocks on your door, it's the middle of the night, right? It's a huge disruption. He says, go away. But the friend who showed up keeps on going. He keeps on asking, right? He's, he's pounding on the door and he's saying, man, I got guests. I need some bread. I need supplies. I need to be hospitable to them. He's woken up the man. His wife is probably awake at this point and it's probably not great for this guy as right, his friend is knocking on the door, like make him go away. The kids are starting to stir. If you have kids, you kind of want them to sleep through the night, right? It's not great when they wake up. The dog is barking. The neighbors are now involved. It's this whole scene, right? And as a result, because of his shameless boldness, because he kept knocking, because he kept persisting, the homeowner relents and gets up and gives him everything that he needs for his traveling companions. Well, who is who in this story? I think we are the friend who knocks on the door. We're the needy ones who need something. The man already in bed is this imaginary character for the sake of the story, and God is someone who is so much better than that friend. What's Jesus' point? He says, look, even if your friend, who, or if even your friend who is asleep, who doesn't want you in his house, who really doesn't want to get out of bed, if even he will give you what you need because you persist, how much more will your heavenly father, who deeply loves you, who sent his own son to die for you, how much more will he give you everything you need? Therefore, Jesus says, because God is so much better than that friend who shares with you because you've annoyed him long enough, ask and seek and knock. Go boldly and persistently before the throne. Because the one who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Remember, God is not like us. He's not annoyed with our neediness. Instead, he delights in meeting our every need. Jesus then use, uses fathers to further illustrate this point. Look, he says, what earthly father gives their kid awful tricks instead of providing for their needs, right? If a kid asks for a fish or an egg for breakfast, most typical dads are going to give them a fish or an egg for breakfast, right? Certainly not a snake or a scorpion. I am a sinful dad. I'll be the first to admit that. I blow it with my kids weekly, if not daily. And yet, in spite of my deep sin, one of the things that gives me the most joy in life is giving my kids what they ask for. When we're making my son's favorite breakfast, one of the best moments of the day is when he comes down the steps and I get to say, buddy, buddy, we're having your favorite breakfast today. Biscuits. And his face lights up with a smile and he gives me a big hug and it, it's an amazing moment. Or if I go to one of my daughters and I say, hey, do you want to come with dad to, to run an errand and have special daddy time? They squeal with delight. Their face lights up. It's this, it's this great, I love giving my kids things that they want. Well, God is always like that. God always delights to either give you what you ask for or to give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. And so, as we hear from Jesus himself, this is how we are to pray. First, by orienting and aligning ourselves with God's holiness and the, desi the desires of his 
kingdom, and then by boldly asking for his provision. As we conclude this morning, I want to encourage you to follow Jesus' instruction to pray in two ways. First, do you remember our opening idea of having lunch with Jesus? This idea that these words of Jesus are alive and still relevant for us today. And if we asked him at lunch the same question that the disciples did, Lord, teach us to pray, he would say roughly the same things. Well, in light of that reality... I think you should take the words of Jesus who tells you to pray saying these words seriously. And you should pray regularly the Lord's Prayer. Yes, it's familiar. Yes, it may become something that you do out of habit and at times you'll find yourself going over the words in your head without even realizing you're doing it. And no, that's not a bad thing. There's this thing among Protestant evangelical convictions, or Protestant evangelical Christians, which is what we are as Crossview Church, where we think that just because something is familiar or because it doesn't conjure up in us some sort of good feeling, that it's at best unhelpful and at worst harmful. Nothing could be further from the truth. What a beautiful thing that this prayer straight from the mouth of Jesus would be so ingrained in you that it comes out when you least expect it. It's in your brain and your heart and your soul so deeply that it just spills out when you're not even thinking about it. We do this all the time with music, right? Whether new or from our childhood, old music pops into our heads from out of nowhere and we catch ourselves humming tunes that we haven't heard in years. And when we do that, we suddenly find ourselves smiling and reminiscing about a season of life or a person or memory that that song brings up. Well, how great would it be if that happened with the Lord's Prayer? If we regularly prayed these words that Jesus told us to, and it became so ingrained in our pattern that we found ourselves praying without ceasing. Some of you may cringe at the idea of praying the Lord's Prayer so often, but let me encourage you to think about this type of prayer not as rote repetition, but as rhythm. Develop a daily or even hourly rhythm of prayer, repeating or reading these words of Jesus, orienting your heart towards God and boldly asking him to meet your needs. A second way I'd encourage you to pray uh, is by following Jesus' prayer in principle. We see all sorts of different prayers throughout the Bible, right? And throughout Christian history, all kinds of different men and women have prayed in all sorts of ways. And we're certainly not limited to this prayer alone. And yet the pattern we see here is so helpful. As we approach the Lord, we orient our hearts toward him, aligning ourselves with his character and his wants and his desires and his good plan. And then we boldly ask him to do the things he's promised to do expecting that when we're asking according to his good purpose, he'll do them. Not always exactly like we want, right? But always exactly like we need. So pray in these two ways. Pray the Lord's Prayer regularly and in principle. Last week, uh, Pastor Dan shared how we're going to end each of our sermons this series by praying God's word back to him. And so I thought it would be appropriate then to pray the Lord's Prayer back to God together as we conclude our service this morning. We just looked at the Luke 11 version, uh, but we're going to conclude the message time this morning by praying the fuller and more familiar version found in Matthew chapter 6. And after that, we'll move into a time of communion. So 
Uh, in just a moment, would you pray this along with me? It might be super familiar to you. It might be brand new. It might feel rich and full. You might be entering into this just hoping that God will meet you because you don't really feel much about it at all. Whatever the case is, when you go before God's throne praying as he's told us to pray, asking what he's told us to ask, glorifying him as he's told us to, he is honored and he delights to meet us where we are. So would you pray this with me out loud? Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen.